0: teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Children, you can go to your classes now, follow your teachers. We'll miss you. It's a joy to be together this Sunday. It's a joyful day. We, um, I just love hearing the story of a life changed, uh, Jim's testimony, and just that God is in the business of changing lives, and it's a beautiful thing. And at Covenant Hope Church, our mission statement, we want to glorify God, and we want to do this through three particular ways. It's to build, it's to treasure, and it's to display. We want to build a community, a community, a family, where we care for each other, where we're in each other's lives. Um, And that community is not based around our age or stage of life or our skin color. It's based around something way greater than those things. It's based around treasuring Christ together, that we would love Jesus and be unified in him. And so we build this community, we treasure Christ as king. And then from there, that treasuring, that loving Christ, our intimacy with Christ and the love that he has showed us, we display that love to our city. We love our neighbor. We sacrificially serve our city. We care for the poor and the needy. We uh, seek to share our faith with others. We display his truth, beauty, and love to St. Pete and the nations. So that's just a little bit about our mission here at Covenant Hope Church. If it's your first time here, we're so glad you're here. My name's Ronnie Rents. I serve as one of the pastors here. And it's a joy to preach the word of God for you this morning. We're so glad you're here. Today, on Easter morning, we celebrate a claim that is miraculous, revolutionary, a claim that has changed the course of history and the fate of eternity. As Christians, we make a supernatural claim that a man named Jesus of Nazareth came to earth as fully God and fully man. He would die for the sins of humanity, be crucified on a cross, but three days later he would rise again from the dead. Without this historical fact, Christianity would not exist. Do you ever think about that? If Jesus just died, we would not have Christianity today. I don't know what we'd be doing, but it wouldn't be this. Can't you just envision the disciples sitting around after Jesus' death? Well, that was, that was good while it lasted. I really like that Jesus guy. Uh, he had some cool teachings about loving others, he had some cool teachings about God, but it turns off he was off on that whole the way, the truth, and the life thing. And don't get me wrong, I'd still think Jesus would be a cultural icon. He may even be on t-shirts or in dorm room posters as a rebel of antiquity, but he would not be worshipped as God. The claims that we make in Christianity would be silly and pitiful without the resurrection. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people the most to be pitied if Christ did not raise again from the dead. Everything rides on this risen Christ. That is what verifies that what he said was true and that he is worthy of our worship. Without the resurrection, Jesus would be just another guru or prophet. Whether Christ is risen or dead has life-altering consequences for each of us here today. How we respond to these claims determines our reason for living. Determines the fate of our eternity. There goes the Bible. Join me in praying that we would meet with God this morning. And that he would help us discern truth and know beyond a shadow of a doubt the reason we celebrate this Easter. Let's pray. God, we need you this morning. Lord, these, these, this burden of proof, these claims are big ones, Lord. But they, the fact that you rose from the dead is the very reason we gather. It's the very reason we worship, Lord. I just pray that your truth would impact our hearts today. That these would not be words of academic study, Lord, but these would be life-changing words, God. Your word is sharp. And it, help it to cut to truth today. Help us to know the truth today. Give us discernment. Help us to see what is right. And if anything is of me, I pray that it would fall on deaf ears. But if everything that is of you, Lord, I just pray that it would impact us today, Lord. Be with us. In your name we pray, amen. Today, we're going to do two things. First, I want to start by giving us some proofs of the resurrection. Evidence that points to a risen Savior. In our skeptical society where truths are often subjective, I think it's very important to talk about some of the evidence of our faith. And second, we're going to jump into our main text. I want us to see various responses that people had to the risen Christ, how they responded then, and think about what our responses might be today. So first, let's take a few moments to look at some proof, some evidence of the resurrection. I use the word proof because that is the word we see used in Scripture. If you look in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, it says, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This 40 days was after He died and rose again. There's much evidence for the resurrection, but I, I chose three of us for, for us to ponder on today. The first proof is that Jesus appeared to several eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. After dying and being erased, we have several accounts of Jesus appearing to others. He appeared at least eight different times after the resurrection to large groups of people. And when I say during the life of other eyewitnesses, all I mean is that other people were alive and they could either corroborate or deny uh, the accounts as false. Paul lets us know in 1 Corinthians that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So this was not some secret backroom vision that one guy had. This was not uh, a delusion or a dream hidden behind closed doors. Groups of people, crowds of people saw him after his death. And we're going to see one of those encounters today. Another way that we can see that he is risen is that early Christians, they lost the location of Jesus' tomb. Jesus' enemies, if they had the dead body of Jesus, if that existed, they would have just presented this as evidence and, and denied the resurrection altogether. His body wasn't presented. And today, there's no tourist attraction for his tomb in Israel. Why don't people care about it? I mean, people get excited about a piece of toast that looks like Jesus' face. Like, why why would they not celebrate and go to his tomb and lay flowers and treasure it? It's because he didn't stay dead. We have the remains of Buddha. Buddha. We have the tomb of Muhammad, the grave of Confucius you can go to. If you're a part of his lineage, you can be buried in Confucius's graveyard. All these burial sites of founders of religions and ways of life and worldviews. And if Jesus had stayed dead, his tomb would be revered in the same way as, the, as these figures. But no one knows where his tomb was. After Jesus rose, they ceased to care about it. The final proof I will share with you, and one that I find particularly compelling, is that Jesus' disciples confessed to seeing the resurrected Christ. And they believed so fervently that they would not deny Him, even when they would face death or exile. If the disciples had stolen the body, or if it was a hoax that they were trying to perpetuate, why would they go through these great lengths? Many of them, we see in the ministry of Jesus, they were cowardly. They were self-serving. They were constantly asking Jesus, like, am I, am I going to sit at your right hand? Am I, am I your loved disciple? They were thinking about themselves. You know, I think of the Apostle Peter. He'd go from denying Jesus, denying having, following Jesus in front of a servant girl, and then this same man, Peter, would go boldly proclaiming the gospel despite persecution Peter would go on to live his life for Jesus, opting to be crucified upside down on a cross because he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior the men who followed Jesus would be so compelled by what they saw they would give their very lives for it if they just denied Christ, they would not have faced the same fate Why would they do this? Something changed them. It's not only changed the lives of the disciple. Even the day of worship would change from Saturday to Sunday to commemorate this new reality of a risen Lord. I present these to you as evidence as we think about the claims that Christianity makes. In our passage, there's even more evidence and and there's tons more things that we could talk about. But in our passage, we'll see that there's deniers of the resurrection, and there's doubters of the resurrection. And I hope these proofs help sway us from being either, falling into these two camps. Today, we're going to be in Matthew 28, so I invite you to turn there with me this morning. If you have an ESV Bible, uh, we have some up front, or they may have all been taken, but um, it's going to be on page 835 in in your ESV Bible. Um, And you're going to go to the big number 28 for the chapter, and it'll be in the small number 1, verse 1. In Matthew, we have this succinct summary from the resurrection of Jesus, and it's going all the way from his resurrection to the Great Commission. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The Sabbath officially ended at sundown on Saturday. So after the Sabbath, around dawn on Sunday, these ladies went out to see the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, she was the mother of the Apostle James, the younger, Jesus' cousin. We know from the Gospel account of Mark that these ladies, they had gone to get spices to anoint the body. Jesus had been buried hastily in his complete anointing per Jewish custom, had not taken place. And so they took their oils and spices, and they're going out in their love for Jesus. And we also know from the Gospel of Mark, that they they had a concern as they were walking, a concern about moving the stone away once they arrived. Mark 16.3 says, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from us at the entrance of the tomb? A stone put in front of the tomb this would not be some crude stone or pebble that's just chunked up there that, to be easily removed. It would be a stone cut precisely to fit the opening. And it would seal the tomb shut. Not even the strong Roman guards in front of it could, could lift it and remove it by themselves. They knew this might be a problem. But in their devotion, that you know, they were trying to figure out how we're we going to get in there. They, they acted in faith and they went anyway. When they arrived, this concern disappeared, however, and a new one arose. And behold, verse 2, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone that sat on it. Just as there was an earthquake at Christ's death, God, sovereign over all his nature and creation, causes another great earthquake, signifying that another another earth-shattering event has taken place. And the women, they experience this quake and they see this view of an angel from heaven rolling back the heavy stone and sitting on it. It's such a beautiful picture. The angel of the Lord sitting on the stone of the tomb. A symbol of earthly and heavenly realities. The tomb sealed with a heavy stone guarded by Roman soldiers. From our human perspective, this was the ultimate security. There were no greater security systems to be found in this day. The chief priests were confident that nothing would find its way in or out of that tomb. And from the point of view of heaven, all it would take is one second for this stone to be rolled away. And God's messenger would recline upon it, showing the futility of man's security when it is found in anything else but God. Angel resting on the stone was a visual that death had been conquered. It's important to note as well that the angel did not move the stone so that Jesus could escape. You know, he wasn't just waiting behind there. Alright, thanks angel. You got me. I appreciate it. In the other gospel accounts, Jesus appears to disciples in miraculous ways, showing that he could enter closed rooms. The stone was rolled back so that the witnesses, they would come in and see, and it would leave no doubt that Christ is risen. The angel's appearance we see in verse 3 is like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of them, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The distinctive feature of this heavenly being was his brightness. This brightness would be fitting of an angel that was to be found in the presence of God, still radiating with his glory. In response to the sight of this angel, these soldiers, these trained soldiers, warriors, would be so traumatized that they would faint in terror. And these were not weak men. They were highly trained soldiers who were used, used to cruelty in their everyday lives. With all their combat training and experiences, they were not prepared for God to enter their life. They would tremble and pass out the sight of this angel. This angel then turns and speaks to the ladies. They would have been very fearful as well. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. The angel reassures them that there is no reason to fear. Invites them in to see the spot where he was laid. Living men do not belong in tombs. He was not there. He was risen. And then the angel instructs them, to go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. The two instructions of of the angel were to come and see and to go and tell. And I want us to just stop here for a moment and apply these instructions for those that are followers of Christ. The message of Easter means very little to us this morning if it concludes with just the instruction to come and see. If today is just the celebration, we can have a wonderful service. Everyone can be dressed up. An event that we take in, we can think, oh man, that was a sweet time together. And our minds can begin to wonder off about all the festivities that today holds. But they were not just to come and see. They were Uh, they were to celebrate and come and see, of course, but they were also told to quickly go and tell. Can you imagine what these ladies felt this morning? Last night, many of us got to witness a precious thing in a a wedding of our dear friends, Justin and Allie. In that moment when the bride walks down the aisle, when she meets her groom and the groom meets his bride, they're about to wed, it's hard to put that feeling into words. Even sitting in the audience, I know I'm a softy, so maybe some of you are unaffected, but uh, I can't help but be moved to emotion. Seeing two people bound in love, becoming a new family together and seeking to glorify Christ in their marriage, it's a beautiful thing. But that feeling you get when you're reunited with old friends, That you love so much. They know you. You know them. It's as if you never parted ways. You can jump right in. Make jokes. They know what you're saying. You're understood. You're loved. Or the feeling of holding your child for the first time. Seeing their face for the first time. And as awesome and wonderful as these things can be, they serve as just a taste of what it would be like to witness Jesus defeating death, to see the miraculous, to see all the wrong that had been done, to be righted. And we're not only to celebrate this King of ours, not only to come and see His beauty and worship Him, we are to go and to tell others that He is risen. If we could this morning just possess the same wonder that they had, a freshness of these events in our hearts, captivated by the fact that Jesus would go to the cross and die for the sins of man. That He would take our place, enduring the wrath of God for our sins. And that He would rise again, giving us ultimate hope in all of life. Knowing that all who turn from their sins and place their trust in Him will be saved. And so, what do they do in response to these commands? They immediately obeyed this angel. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Their two emotions, fear and great joy. As they were headed to the tomb, they're worried about how to roll the rock away. But as they're leaving the tomb, they're overflowing with joy. They're fearful of the mighty works that they have seen. They don't know whether to laugh or to cry. They're probably doing both. Their beloved was alive again. They could not keep this news to themselves. And then, as if it couldn't get any better, who do they come across? Who do they run into on their way to tell others? The risen Savior. And I just love how Jesus responds to them. I was kind of cracking up about this all week because Jesus just says, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Some other translations say he said, he said, rejoice. Either way, his grand arrival after defeating sin and death, completing the eternal rescue mission of humanity. Greetings. Three days prior, he was nailed to the cross. They see Jesus back from the dead, and he just says, Hello. Don't you just love the simplicity of this? How might prideful man respond if they had just defeated death? We can get so tied up sometimes in our theological complexity within the church. But in all his wisdom and power, Jesus was approachable. He spoke to them in simple terms. Never a pretense or an air of superiority. And not only that, he knew them. He met them. Once again, just can you imagine running from that empty tomb, full of fear, full of joy, crying and laughing, trying to tell others as quickly as you can. And Jesus sees them on their way. Jesus came to meet them, just as He comes to meet us. And their response to this hello, it was the right one. They came up, verse 10, They took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. They fell to the ground. This is something people of antiquity would do in the sight of a king. Fall on the ground, prostrate in worship. This was in worship of not only their king, but their God. The one who had poured their life out for them. want to ask you this morning does your heart bow in worship to this king many of us we've met the church we've met christian values we we've met external structures that surround the church we may come and see and celebrate this easter but have you met jesus not the trappings of or social scene around him have you met him If you have, in a moment, He ceases to be a figure from history that said some good things. And He becomes your personal Lord and Savior. Just like these ladies, the only response to meeting Him is to throw ourselves down and worship Him, grasping His feet, holding these feet that had just been pierced three days prior, touching Him in bodily form, their risen Savior, They realized what He had done. And if we have not come to the place where we have taken hold of His feet in adoration, we do not know Him, and we do not understand the significance of what He has done. And when He is Lord, we can't help but be motivated to go and tell of Him and the great wonders that He has done. Does this wonder grasp your heart this morning? Do not... Be content just in your knowledge of Him. Worship at His feet. I want us to briefly look at verses 11 through through 20. In it, we see two other responses that people had to the risen Lord. Verses 11 through 15, we have the deniers who would seek to cover up the resurrection. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest, All that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, and gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. This is an account of the high priest coming up with a plan to control the message, to try and get their best public relations team out there in order to maintain their religious control. They had given Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, and now they give the money to the guards to deny what they saw and say that the body was stolen while they fell asleep. This alibi just does not hold up. This would have been an obvious lie to anyone who was familiar with what was required of these soldiers. One, how would you remain asleep while 11 men struggled to roll away the stone and drag a dead body out? And two, if you were asleep, how do you know what happened? And three, the consequences for a soldier falling asleep and forsaking their duty is that they would be put to death. These were the deniers. And now I want us to look at one more group in verses 16-20. through These are the doubters. The eleven disciples went to Galilee and even after seeing the resurrected Christ we see in verse 17 and when they saw Him, they worshipped Him but some doubted. They had seen the physical evidence. They had seen Him die and living again, and yet they doubt it. This serves as one more proof that the Bible is true. It's just very real. These are not men made out to be perfect heroes of the faith. Some doubt it. Do you doubt the truth of this account this morning? Even those that could touch His wounds, be with Him, eat with Him, they doubt it as well. Jesus would then go on to give His commission to the disciples for every believer since. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always." to the end of the age. This is the mission and goal that every Christian is to live for. Not just pastors, not just missionaries. This is the commission of our Savior and King. Making disciples is what what we are to be about as individuals and as a church. But in all these responses, the question that we should seek to answer beyond a shadow of a doubt is, have we met this risen Jesus? If you have met Him, then praise God. Now Go and share Him. Go and tell everyone. If you haven't met Him, maybe your response is to doubt, or your response is to deny. Maybe you don't treasure Him as Lord of your heart, but have only been around churchy things. He's that figure of history and not this personal King and Savior. Then why not today? Even those that had the proof still doubted. Why not humble yourself and with the faith of a child, take hold of his feet today. Confess to him that you have denied him. Confess to him that you have doubted. He is the only thing worthy of your worship. And no matter your past, as we've seen in Jim's testimony, no matter how many times you've turned away from him or sinned against him, you can still come to Him. You can turn from your sins, place your trust in Him, and His perfect standing before God. There will always be those who doubt. There will always be those who deny. I don't want want the doubters and deniers to die in their sins. The day of salvation is today. Any member here would love to talk to you further after the service about how you can know what we celebrate this Easter, how you can have the same resurrection hope. Some of us in this room, we've responded to this gospel account. We live for these truths. You know these truths. You're here to come and see, but you end with the celebration and not the proclamation. You may be here for the music and the community and the festivities, but God has brought us here to meet with a risen Savior, to worship a living God, and to go and to fulfill His great commission. Maybe you've just been going through the motions of the Christian life, doing more of the consuming and less of the great outpouring of what we have been given in Christ. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The task that God the Father gave His Son is the task that Jesus gives to us. The ministry to reconcile others in their brokenness. To point them to this living God that defeated sin and death and is worthy of all worship. Let's not just come and see. Let's go and tell. Let's let's take a moment. I want all of us to take a moment of prayerful silence. For some of this, it means repentance and faith, acknowledging God's Lordship, confessing our sin, and for the first time, asking Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of our life. For some of you, you've been sitting on the sidelines stationary, content to worship, but yet devoid of witness. It means saying, Lord Jesus, I will go from here. And I will tell the world about you. Just as these ladies did. Let's pray. God, no matter where we are today, whether we are a doubter or a denier, whether we are just coming to see or we are going and telling, Lord, you hold us. God, You you formed our hearts. You know and number our days. Lord, I pray for the doubters. That they would see their truth. That You would give them friendships where they can ask questions. Lord, there should be no safer place to ask questions than Your church. God, I pray for the deniers. Whether You would soften their hearts. They would see Your beauty. They would see Your majesty. They would see that the ways of man are futile. The ways of God are so good. Lord, for those of us just content to come and see, God, I just pray that we would be moved to to action. That we'd be moved to, to see that You have chosen to make us a part of your kingdom, and Lord, to use us mightily. God, to fill us with your spirit, to equip us as your saints to go forth with the gospel. And Lord, bless us in our efforts to go and tell, to share of this good news to a world that doesn't doesn't see a need for church, that doesn't see um, a need for a Savior, It's content to live in its sin, Lord, I just pray that we would be faithful. Lord, pray this morning as we consider these claims about who you are, about meeting you, I just pray that we would would all meet with you. We would see who you are in your word. We would see these accounts. Lord, that you you would change us to be conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, we need you we praise your name that you are risen from the dead we praise your name that we have an eternal hope and that that is the foundation of our faith that we serve a living god thank you for all your goodness thank you that you have risen In your name we pray amen